Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year, for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zivi Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zivibooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zivi Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zivimag.com. We have classes at zippyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zivi's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Chimimanda Adichie is the author of Mama's Sleeping Scarf, as well as many other wonderful books. This episode was guest hosted by Alicia Fernandez Miranda, who's the author of My What If Year, a memoir published by Zivi Books. Chimimanda was named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World in 2015. In 2017, Fortune Magazine named her one of the world's 50 greatest leaders. She is a member of both the Academy of Arts and Letters and the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. Her most recent work, Notes on Grief, an essay about losing her father, was published in 2021 to incredible acclaim and success. She also wrote Dear Ijeawale, or A Feminist Manifesto in 15 Suggestions, which was published in March of 2015. Her first novel, Working Backwards Here, Purple Hibiscus, from 2003, won the Commonwealth Writers' Prize, and her second novel, Half of a Yellow Sun, 2006, won the Orange Prize. Her 2013 novel, Americana, won the U.S. National Book Critics Circle Award and was named one of the New York Times' Top 10 Books of 2013. 
She has delivered two landmark TED Talks, her 2009 TED Talk, The Danger of a Single Story, and her 2012 TEDx Houston Talk, We Should All Be Feminists, started a worldwide conversation about feminism and was published as a book in 2014. Chimamanda divides her time between the United States and Nigeria, where she was born, and where she leads an annual creative writing workshop. FYI, she graduated summa cum laude from Eastern Connecticut State University with a degree in communication and political science and has a master's degree in creative writing from Johns Hopkins University and a master's of arts degree in African history from Yale University. She was awarded a Hodder Fellowship at Princeton University for the 2005-2006 academic year and a fellowship at the Radcliffe Institute of Harvard University for the 2011 academic year. In 2008, she received a MacArthur Fellowship. Chimamanda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I basically like elbowed out everybody to steal this episode from <laughs> Bibby when she uh, had a conflict with her time because I'm such a fan of your fiction, of your essays. We should all be feminists. So I was like, I don't even care what book this is. I want to do this interview with her. That's so sweet. <laughs> and I didn't care that it was 830 at night here in Scotland. And I was going to be like, you know, that's practically my bedtime. But I was like, no, no, we're doing this. So I am so excited that you are here to talk about Mama's Sleeping Scarf. Yeah, it's exciting for me as well. I haven't really done many uh, sort of promotional things for it. So it's still sort of exciting and fresh. It's a lovely story. It's a perfect bedtime story. I was telling you before we started the interview that I made my kids read it for with me before bed, even though they are almost 12. So maybe slightly out of the appropriate age. Well, not appropriate, but the kind of target age for this beautiful book. But it's just, it's a, such a great story. It's beautifully illustrated. And so Chino is like the perfect kid. She's so polite. I need to know if you were the perfect child. Or if you are raising the perfect child, and that's how you get this example. Because I was amazed by her manners, frankly, throughout the story. Ah, that's interesting. No, no, no. I was not the perfect child. I mean, I wish I could lie and say that I was, <laughs> but you know, I feel like somebody would would um, send you a message and be like, she's lying. Actually, it's so interesting that, huh, does she have, hmm, okay, I guess so. I think my daughter is better than, she's better at this age, she's eight Okay. Than I was that age. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting because she's actually quite fierce and she has her opinions and she's very good at saying no. But we do try to teach her. And in some ways also just the sort of very, I think, Nigerian, African idea that you, you know, you should be polite to adults, um, that kind of thing. But also to, to have a sense of autonomy. So I think in some ways, I think that this book for me was about, I think also just respecting a child's autonomy. So she... Mm-hmm. She gets to be, I mean, obviously within limits, because I just don't think that we should be our children's friends. I think we should be our children's parents. Um, But I think just within sort of a certain boundary to have a sense of autonomy. So she has the scarf and she she just sort of does what she wants with it because it's, you know, safe and fun. And so I think think my daughter is reasonably well-mannered. I just, after after reading it with my kids, I was like, do you see how much more often you should be saying please and thank you? This is obvious in this book. But it is, uh, you know, she she definitely has this sense. And it's so funny, isn't it, with our kids? Because I always feel like when I see my kids have a little bit of fire, I'm always like, I love that you have that. I wish you were not deploying that weapon against me. Like, save yeah. it for the rest yes. of the world. But just be obedient and listen to everything I say. Why can't that happen? <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my goodness, I feel exactly the same way. Exactly the same way. You want that for them because you know they yes. I think it, yeah, you're preparing them for a world in which they will need that to survive, but you don't want them to you don't want to see that when you're talking when my Exa- daughter says, exactly no. like just save this, save this. Yeah. You're gonna need it. But right now, please just get in the shower and go to bed. <laughs> That's all I really want. So now you have written, you know, I, I started going through your bio. You've written so much. You've been writing for such a long time, but this is your first children's book. Uh, So what made you decide to write this book and how did the idea of the scarf kind of come to you? Well, why did I decide to write this? Because I had a child. (laughs) So before my daughter is eight, like I said, so before I had her, I just, I just wasn't interested in children's books. And I thought I wasn't the right person to write children's books because my vision is very dark. You know, I'm interested in things like war and, you know, injustice and all of those things. And then I had my daughter and we would read to her. So we started reading to her quite early. And I just started thinking about writing a book, you know, because of her, for her. And then I remember this day that I'm holding her. She was still maybe, you know, she wasn't maybe one, maybe a little less than one. And she pulls off my scarf because I always have a scarf around my head when I sleep. And, you know, it was just, you know, one of those moments that it's so ordinary, but it's also so perfect. Mm. And I was so moved by it. I mean, having this child completely changed everything for me. So, you know, I was one of those annoying mothers for whom every little thing became very precious, you know. So I was like, this moment is precious. I'm going to forget (laughs) it, you know. And so so I wrote it down because I make notes all the time. And then my parents, I was very close to my parents. My father died and my mother died a few months after. My father died in June of 2020. And it was, still is actually really just really difficult, you know, really difficult. And so it was those two things, that memory and then my parents dying and this feeling of just being unmoored mm. and wanting to, so I'm so desperately wanting to hold on to memory because of my parents yeah. and they adored my daughter. I think my parents were not sure that I would have a child because I've sort of always been the strange, you know, child. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I have five siblings and they're all sort of, you know, good law-abiding people who have good jobs and who have children. And and I was sort of the strange one. And I wasn't sure I wanted children. So I think when I had my daughter, my parents were so thrilled and so surprised. They worshipped her. And I wanted to remember that for myself and for her. So all of these things came together. And I think also just the idea of the scarf. I was thinking about, I'm really interested in that idea of making small things, the small things of our lives familiar to everyone. And so I think that for most Black women, having something, a scarf, something around your hair when you're sleeping is normal. But I don't think it's normal for many people who are not Black. Right. And I kind of love the idea of celebrating this little thing, a scarf, but also just making it familiar to everyone. And so that's kind of all of that came together. And um, and this happened, Mama's sleeping scarf. It is so beautiful. And I, I think, you know, did you... Did you find when you had your daughter and you started, I, I would presume, reading more children's books than maybe you had yeah. before? You know, you have spoken, your amazing TED Talk about uh, the dangers of a single story. I mean, did you find that in children's literature? Did you find a good enough selection of stories that were reflecting the type of world you wanted your daughter to see and the things that were familiar to you? Or did you feel like having a child and maybe seeing what was out there, it was important for you to have a book where she saw someone in it that looked like her? That's actually really, and that's a good question. And it's sort of a good, it's, 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 in some ways it's both. 
So when I started reading children's books, and really I hadn't read any until I had her. I had no reason to. I just wasn't <laughs> interested. <laughs> you were just picking up Dr. To. Seuss on the weekends. Like. I'm like, yeah, this is my weekend <laughs> reading. You know, I that. But, you know, we would read to her and two things. I realized that there's so many animal characters in children's books, which is fine, obviously. But but I just thought, I wish we had more people. And so we would go to the library and I would go looking for books that had a, a wide range of people. I wanted her very early on to see the world as it is. Mm. And obviously able to see herself. And the other thing I, I, I noticed was how often the books that had Black children were about, you know, sort of serious things. And I remember at her baptism, we had a baptism and we had a big party and people gave her presents. And one of the presents was a book about a Black child who was going off to be an activist. And I just thought, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, activism, activism is wonderful, but really, you know, for and I thought, how about the child just go off to, I don't know, explore and search for treasure yeah. or something? <laughs> so, so for me, it was wanting to see more Black children in books who are doing absolutely ordinary things. You know, yeah. it's not about fighting racism or all of those things. And, and also I wanted, I mean, I missed, I think, seen books that were ordinary. So I was telling a friend about this book, Mama's Sleeping Scarf, and he said to me, oh, that's so surprising. I expected the scarf to become magical. <laughs> and I think it's the expectation we have about a lot of children's literature that something sort of extraordinary has to yes. happen. You, you fly away on the scarf or the scarf, you know, that sort of thing. And my daughter loves books like that. We're reading a book now where um, something about underpants. So somebody's underpants sort of takes on a life of its own and goes to different <laughs> parts of the world. <laughs> and she loves it. But I wanted something more ordinary, you know, because I think there's so much beauty in just the ordinary. And yeah, so I, I mean, I think we, I think there's more work to be done in diversifying children's books, but I think it's much better today than it was, you know, 20 years ago, for example. I think that, I think the publishing world is, making an effort. Yeah. I, so I guess my kids were born in 2011, but I have never really thought about it, but I'm trying to think of any mm. books that I read them that had people in them. And I'm mm. really struggling. We did a lot of Julia Donaldson because we're in the UK, a lot of Dr. Seuss, mm. but yeah, most, mostly like giraffes who don't know how to <laughs> dance or unicorns. Who poop oh, rainbows. my daughter, I love that one. My daughter, I love that giraffe. <laughs> I yeah, do love yeah. giraffes can't dance actually. That's such a cute book. But it's amazing. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. So, okay. So you published, we should all be feminists in 2014. I've bought copies for almost everybody. I know probably at different stages of the last almost 10 years. And this was adapted from a TEDx talk you did in 2012. So it's been more than a decade. You've had a child in that period. What do you feel like has changed since then for you and for the kind of broader Mm -hmm. space that you're operating in? Very little. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I think <laughs> nothing. <laughs> well, well, hmm. Hmm. I, you know, I mean, when so I find it increasingly interesting to talk about feminism because I think on the one hand, there's a lot of talk. I mean, I think that word feminism has become a lot more familiar to mm. people. It's, it's thrown around very often. But it just seems to me that the fundamental issues haven't really changed. I mean, I think... Yeah, there's just so much that I'm still very dissatisfied with. I'm still angry about. Um, I think that there's nowhere in the world today that we have real gender equality. Nowhere, nowhere. And, you know, God bless Norway, God bless Sweden and Denmark, but they do not, and Iceland, but they do not have gender equality. I've just I've just been reading a book by she's the wife of the president of Iceland, I think, or the prime minister. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting. And she's Canadian. And, you know, Iceland is often talked about as, you know, this wonderful place where there is gender equality. And in this book, she talks to just ordinary Icelandic women. Right. And I was struck by how the issues are the same. You know, this idea that women constantly have to compromise more. Women have to deal with a kind of um, professional women have to deal with a kind of um, sort of, you know, casual disrespect. Mm-hmm. That, you know, always having to prove that you know what you're doing. And the only reason you have to do that is because you're a woman. And obviously, you know, that that the difficulty of of wanting to, quote unquote, have it all, which is just such a strange thing for me, because, yeah, it's a it's a conversation about domestic life and domestic right. work. And women are still doing the bulk of it. And, you know, for many of them, it's unpaid. I mean, all of those things, I think, still interest me. And of course, being Nigerian being African, you know, I really care a lot about things that still haven't changed very much, things like child marriage, mm-hmm. you know, female circumcision is decreasing in many parts of, of Africa, but still isn't gone, you know? So there's still, I mean, I, I think we can all sort of, it's cool, and Beyonce did the thing on feminism, yeah, and I think that's good. 
sampled your you know, I, t-shirts on the runway. Yeah, you've you've had a lot of pop culture uh, feminism. I have, I have, and I and I like it because I think you know I do think that talking about things makes a difference. But right? I think that the more we talk about something, the more that we make it front and center. Then the, I think that the greater the likelihood of some kind of change, you know. But I think there's still a lot of work to be done. So am I happy at the state of women in the world? No. Mm. <laughs> and do you do you feel optimistic about the future your daughter is going into? Ah, I want to say yes. I want to be optimistic because, you know, this child is my life. And But I, I realize I spend a lot of time worrying about her future. And so my latest obsession, and yes, I'm one of those annoyingly obsessive. I mean, I don't know what it was like for you, but obsession and anxiety came into my life the minute I had a child. You know, so I'm constantly worrying about her. Oh, yeah. She's eight years old, but now I'm worrying about, you know, what, what's her adolescence going to be like? And now I'm really obsessing about social media because I've just read this book about the increase in anxiety and depression yeah. among young people. So that, you know, the more they use Instagram, the more likely they are to be anxious and depressed. And I just find it so worrying. <laughs> and I think also for me, the question is, how does one deal with it? Because on the one hand, you're not going to, I mean, I don't think it makes sense to say, I need to ban her from all social media because it's just not practical. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, I'm thinking, well, how do you, so try and strike that balance where you're guarding her against depression, anxiety. And it's just, yeah. So I, am I am I optimistic? I usually am optimistic. I think maybe this is one of my dark days, actually. I know. I know, I'm always like, depends what day you catch me on. But I, I, had I had twins, so I didn't have a lot of, I mean, there was definitely a worry, anxiety, and just exhaustion, I think. Oh, my goodness. Earlier. I can imagine. But I would say now, you know, about to turn 12, this is probably... 50 to 75% of the conversations I have with other parents of kids my age about like, do they have a phone? When are you getting them a phone? Yeah. What are the permissions yeah. they have? What can yeah. they use? What can they not? And it is very scary because it feels yeah. kind of unknown. I mean, maybe this here, social media is a nice dark topic for your next novel. There you go. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Alicia. I hadn't thought about that, but now that you've mentioned it, it's it's actually, I think it's too big a topic for me to even deal with in fiction. But so what, what I'm curious, what is your take? So you're, you're 12 year olds. What yeah. uh, do they have? I mean, what's your, do they, I'm, what, what I'm you, probably on the, on the stricter edge, mm -hmm. I would say they don't have phones. They won't mm -hmm. get phones until they need them. Like when they're doing more mm -hmm. independent things outside of, outside of me. And I'm very anti-social media. Like I say that and now everybody who's listening is like, but you're on Instagram 24 hours a day. So I'm working on my own social media. Yeah, but for yeah. kids, I think I've told them 16. That's what I've said to them. I said, when you're 16, you can have it, but not before then. And you can hate me. You tell your therapist later, but I'm going to draw my line and I'm going to stick to it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm I'm taking notes. I'm just sort of asking women who have older kids because you're saying 16. I was telling my husband maybe 25, right? Which oh, is that sounds great. Like <laughs> I kept I kept for a while when they were really little, and a lot of this news is coming out. I just kept thinking like maybe there won't be social. Maybe social media will somehow have disappeared by the time they're adolescents, and I won't have to worry about it. But it doesn't look like I'm gonna get that. No, no. Lucky. But it's just all, it is all scary. It's all scary yeah. because it's like yeah. your heart walking around outside of your body. So yeah. 
you know, Mm -hmm. it's so terrifying having children and putting Mm -hmm. them out into the world. Mm -hmm. And so I'm glad we have books like your extremely just sweet, almost like a poem, like a lullaby book that I can still force (laughs) them to listen to. And they they have no choice. Well, tell them I said, I'm so sorry. And I send them my love. They're listening to it every day. They're they're, going to be like, it's mama sleeping scarf time, guys. (laughs) I was interested because you did mention that you typically write about kind of darker topics. You know, have you ever thought about writing a children's book on some of those darker things? The thing that came Mm -hmm. to mind when I was looking at everything you've written about recently was grief and grief for Mm -hmm. children, which is Mm -hmm. certainly a topic that I have struggled to find a lot of good books on kind of in Mm -hmm. in my own journey with my kids. Have you, would you write another children's book? Would you keep it nice and light or do you think you might do something more serious next? See, my, one of my things is never say never Mm. because I've I've realized in my life, I say never and then I end up doing it, (laughs) but I, but it's not something I'm thinking. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm maybe at some point in the future, but not now, because I think that I'm still trying to make sense of grief for myself. And I don't think I'm in a position to make it digestible for children. You know, my daughter, she, I was so worried for her when my, when my father died and then my mother. And, you know, she, I mean, I wasn't sure if, obviously they don't fully understand because she looked sad. And then after a while, she said, when is grandpa going to wake up again? And that just completely broke my heart. Oh, you know, God. and I realized that she doesn't actually understand, you know. Yeah. And so it's that I think to write for children about grief would be finding a way to let them know that grandpa is never going to wake up again. And that's mm-hmm. that's a lot. You know? Yeah, it is. Maybe that's why there aren't so many books. There are some yeah, right. <laughs> There are some great resources, but my husband lost his father and brother uh, in 2021 in very close, close succession. And it was, I I found telling the kids actually maybe the most difficult part of that whole process. And so I was desperate for, because this is always my struggle. This has been my parenting strategy. Anything I don't want to talk about, I'm like, let's get a book about it. You want to learn about sex? Amazing. We're going to get this book. You read it. And then you ask me any questions you have, because I just think all the answers can be found in a book somewhere. So uh, I'm still holding out for books to solve all of my parenting dilemmas for me. Maybe the the ballad of social media disasters is coming and I won't have to worry about it. So tell, tell me what's next for you. What are you working on now? I am working on a novel. I don't usually talk about work in progress, but because I am, I think, in a kind of goodish place with the book. So, and I haven't written a novel in so long. And there are times when I'm thinking, wait, I actually wrote novels in the past. How? (laughs) I'm thinking, wait, I actually finished. I'm not even joking. So I'm in my study and usually I have my own book. So I look at them and I'm like, I wrote this. I finished this. How? (laughs) Because it's been quite, uh, yeah. And, And again, I blame my daughter. I blame my daughter for everything. I mean, I feel as though my creativity stopped the minute I got pregnant. Wow. Something happened to my brain. Something just happened. And I just could not create for a long time. Wow. Honestly. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Is and this it was the, the first mo- thing you've, is this the first, you, well, I guess not the first thing you've written or is the first thing you've written since having. It is the first create, I mean, it's the first create. fictional proper. Right. And I haven't written a novel in 10 years. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I, even just remembering that is so, it just makes me really unhappy. So we, my publishers were celebrating the 10th anniversary of my novel. And I just thought, I don't want to hear it. Because right? all it's saying to me is you haven't written a bloody novel in 10 years. 
but it's going well. So that's what I'm just really trying to focus on not doing too much travel and just yeah. really you know, reading and what writing. Changed? What do you think it was? Because I had a big epiphany when my kids turned eight, actually. That was like a very important mm. year for me when I finally feel like I got some brain space back. Or did mm. you just feel like you were ready finally to get back? This is so good to hear. I'm just really happy to hear that. So it's, eight, well, eight was the year for me. Well, well, you did have twins. So that's like double trouble. Exactly. <laughs> but no, it was when they were they were settled in school. They were sort yeah. of building their own lives. They were like more yeah. or less functionally independent. Mm-hmm. And then, well, I mean, I, then I went off and I went and did all these internships and all the jobs I wanted to do when I was a kid. I quit my job as a CEO and I wrote a book about it, which is how I eventually found Zibby. So oh. I didn't just like go back to my creative practice. I kind of blew up my entire career oh. and put it back together. But it was, I do think it was like eight years old. It was like the magic birthday for me. Mm-hmm. And I know other mothers who have had similar things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. did you feel ready to write again? Or was there something else that was kind of spurring you on to work on a new novel? I think it just, I started, I mean, I've been waiting to be ready, you know, when I had her. I mean, and I have to say, when I got pregnant, I thought, oh, I can handle this. You know, I thought I'm going to, you know, I'm pregnant. I'm going to write a novel. By the time she's two, I'll have the first novel. And when she's four, I'll have the next novel. I thought it was all, I, you know, I thought, oh, I can handle this. And and then I realized I couldn't because I really wanted to be ready. I, I would sit at my laptop. I had help. So it wasn't about, you know, being over, even though you know this is the thing, I did have help. So my my mother came, and then after that we had someone who would come in for a few hours. But here's the thing: I would be in my study and I would be staring at the camera, watching them. Oh my god, we have all been there. We have all been there. <laughs> and my husband would say to me, "The whole point is that you have time to do your own work." I'm like, "Yeah, I know," but then I'm like, "But I'm not sure I liked how she changed her." <laughs> So, I mean, and and also I like to joke and say that it might also be about being an older parent. Like, you know, I had my daughter when I was 39, mm-hmm. 30, yeah. And so I think maybe, because I was thinking maybe if I were, I don't know, 27, maybe I wouldn't be so obsessive. I don't know. But oh, so I've been, waiting, <laughs> I've been waiting to be ready. I've been waiting to be ready. And it just slowly, I think in the past year, and I think maybe grief had something to do with it yeah, because sure. I did write a long essay about losing my father. And I mean, obviously it wasn't fiction, but it was also the first time I was kind of sort of mining my soul, you know, getting inside myself. And and I think that maybe that is part of what made me start to feel, okay, I can, I really can create now. I can, you know, I can, I can go into characters' heads, that kind of thing. Yeah. But it's still, I'm so slow now, you know, when I was Honestly, I'm just like I finished novels in the past in like three years. And and now I don't know how the hell I did it. <laughs> well, no pressure, but I cannot wait to read what you do next. Now, okay. like to, I'm, re- I'm ready. I'm ready. Feel free to send me some pages. I'm just happy to read it. <laughs> but uh, we like to finish up our interviews here on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with any advice you might have for aspiring writers. The most obvious thing is write. And and I say that because lots of people want to write and they they don't. I think people sometimes wait for the perfect time. There's never a perfect time. So I'm really a believer in doing the 
you know, 30 minutes, you know, just carve out some time. It doesn't matter how small. And I also personally believe, and I do this quite a bit, in keeping in touch with my own work. So if I've done, if I've written two pages um, and it's, and I want to write and it's not happening, I go back and look at what I've done. Ooh. It just, you know, just to keep in touch with my own, just to, re, yeah. you know, remind myself, right? There are many stories I've started in the past years and never finished, but I go back and I look at them. So I'm, I'm, in some ways, I'm saying to myself, this is doable, you know. And I also really believe in reading as, as a way of teaching yourself, not just what you want to write, but what you don't want to write. So there's certain books I read and I like them, but I know I never want to write like that. Yeah. You know? And then there are books that I just, I'm thinking, who the hell published this thing? And then the books I'm, I'm reading thinking thinking I want to write like this person. And I read a lot of poetry when I'm writing fiction. I really think it just helps, it just helps with language. You know, you just sort of, you immerse yourself in language. And I think it's very beautiful. So yeah, so I'm very practical about writing. I think- These are you know, really just, good you, tips, actually. I'm like going to go do all of these things now. No, you, you know, you have to keep going. You have, it's a, sometimes it's a grind. You have to keep going. So I have this thing where I sit at my study table. But again, you know, sometimes you end up looking at the camera and looking at the babysitter. And other times you, you know, sometimes I shop for shoes, you know, all of these things, but I'm That's at productive. my table. You're, you're clearing space <laughs> in your brain for the ideas to exactly. flow. I think shoe exactly. shopping is a very important part of the writing process. Exactly. Oh, this has been a true joy. Mama's Sleeping Scarf is out. You can buy it. I highly suggest you do. It is a beautiful book. I have just enjoyed this conversation even more than I thought I would, which is, I had pretty high expectations. So thank you so much, Shamamad. I'm so thank grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you. This was lovely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.